0: We're in the middle of a series, uh, The Bible in 10. Uh, So if you're a guest or a visitor with us today, uh, you've jumped into the middle. uh, But uh, hopefully you'll see how this all fits together. We're looking at the big picture of the Bible, uh, looking at it from the beginning to the end and seeing how it all fits together. And we're in week six, uh, so you're uh, jumping right in the middle, aren't you? So uh, it'll be good to be part of that. And uh, we're going to hear from the Bible. We're going to hear from Joan, who's going to read that for us. Uh, Even with her knees, she's going to be able to get up here will be able to bring it to us. It's uh, 1 Kings chapter 24, uh, verses 8 to 20. Oh, Sorry, two kings. See, Jane's done well. She's been
1: able
0: to help me get it right twice today. Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for three months. Is
1: that my Hopefully. His mother's name was Meshutah, daughter of en- Al- Enthal, but he was, uh, she was from Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. At that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles and his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiakim prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried into exile all Jerusalem all the officers and fighting men, and all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoahim captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the leading men of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and 1,000 craftsmen and artisans. He made Matmar, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in the palace, in his place, sorry, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah, king of Judah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamitel, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end, he thrust them from his presence. May the Lord add his blessing.
0: Um, Pretty bleak picture, wasn't it, really, that reading? Uh, We're going to see why it was bleak in just a moment. Uh, I wonder whether you are a person of chaos or order. Are you a person that has their pantry like this? Is this you? Is this your pantry? Is that your order? Everything has to be in its place and everything has its place and everything's sorted and all boxed. I do know... Some that look like that? Or is yours more like this? (laughs) Is that your pantry? Uh, Well, you know, I'm not going to say anything about mine because I don't look after it. Uh, But it's interesting, isn't it? Some of us are like this, and some of us are like that, and some of us are a bit in the middle, aren't we? Uh, Chaos and order. Uh, some of us like to have it all ocd and all sorted. Some of us are just freewheeling and take it as it comes. Well, that's okay generally, isn't it, sometimes? But all of us, I think, feel that sometimes we wonder what's happening in our world, don't we? Because we see a bit of that, don't we? And generally we don't see the order, we see a lot of chaos. When we look at the world around us, we see a whole lot of mess. We see things as they shouldn't be. We see things uh, devastated. We see things going crazy. We see relationships breaking down. We see our health breaking down. Uh, We feel that, don't we? We feel that pain. We feel that mess. And sometimes we think, you know, where is the order in all this? Where is God in all of this? I'd like a little bit of control, Lord. I'd like to know that there's something going on. God... Where is the control in this? Where? What's happening? Maybe sometimes we've felt like this. I pray, but I'm lost. Am I just praying to silence? Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? Uh, I don't know whether you might be feeling like that now, or you definitely, I'm sure, that some of us have felt like that at different times. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, I'm sure there's been periods that you've gone through this and you may even be in it at the moment. If you're someone that's uh, seeking at the moment and thinking about it, I'm sure that you're thinking, well, it doesn't look like there's a God sometimes out there. Where is God in the middle of all this? Am I just praying to silence? Well, you know that's been the cry in much of the Bible as well? You're not the only ones. Uh, We're going to be looking at today where that cry comes for the people of Israel. But we're going to see most specifically that cry from Jesus. Jesus on the cross cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? In all this mess and this chaos it's the cry that we're going to see for Israel as we look at a particular time in Israel's history called the exile. But if you remember as we're in this, we're in the middle of the story, aren't we? We're in the middle of the big story of God and we're going to be touching into one particular part of that. We're in the middle of 66 books, that's the Bible, and we've been seeing that that 66 books is one story. It's not just a hodgepodge of books that have just been thrown together, but actually this is God's story. It's a true story of God, the world, and us. And we've been watching that story develop and move its way through. And at the moment we're going to be looking at and we're touching in to the middle of the Old Testament probably, and almost towards the end of it as well. Uh, Because we're going to be touching into this place where we call the exile, where Israel is out of the land. They're no longer where they thought they should be, and they're crying out. Uh, Remember Boney M, by the rivers of Babylon, that old song? Well, uh, this is a bit what they were talking about in that song too. It says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And this is God's people who had been in God's place under God's rule. That was the plan. Uh, we've seen that they almost got there. And now here they are, they're weeping. They're weeping about what has happened to them. About the situation that they find themselves doesn't seem like God's plan is coming together. doesn't seem like it's the way it should be. God's people were supposed to be bringing the blessing to the land, but that doesn't look like the case. It looks like actually it's gone the opposite to that, that they've actually gone away from it. Remember where we were in the story? Uh, just last week, if you had been with us, we were with Solomon. Uh, before that we saw David before that we went back to Abraham and before that we went back to David and in all that we saw that God after Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve decided to run their life their way as kings of their own life things started to go skewy then in Abraham uh, we see in Genesis chapter 12 that God promises to put God's people in God's place under God's rule and be a blessing to the nations and then in David it looks like it's going to happen and out of David and out of his son, there's going to be blessing to the world. But then Solomon comes along last week and it goes to pot, doesn't it? That's devastating. Solomon runs off and decides to be God rather than follow God. And decides that he knows what's best and he gets a thousand wives, bad men. Actually, 700 wives, 300 concubines and gets a thousand of them, bad men. And he gets thousands upon thousands, 12,000 horses, and he gets them from Egypt, of which he was told never to do, but he thinks he's going to do it, and then he sets up temples to other gods. And at the end of last week, we saw that God says, I'm going to send you away. And that's where they are. Uh, The book of Lamentations, if you read that in the middle, it's exactly what it is. The people of God, the people who were supposed to be a blessing to the nations, are crying out because they're not it says all who pass your way clap their hands at you they scoff and shake their heads at daughter of Jerusalem is this the city where it was called the perfection of beauty the joy of the whole earth they are being scoffed at they weren't the place they were supposed to be they were sent away from God you can just imagine couldn't you that's what they were feeling the people of Israel were saying, am I praying for Silence? So how did they get there? Well, as we said, they decided to follow their king, who was Solomon, who decided that he knew what was best rather than God knew what was best. And that took them on a trajectory that we end up with where we were in that reading earlier today. Uh, remember what they were supposed to be they were supposed to be a blessing to others that they were blessed to be a blessing that's a great statement isn't it you've probably heard that many times that was a statement to Abraham it's a statement to us now that's what they were supposed to be but that's not who they were he bowed down and worshipped other gods and his kingdom went with him and God says he's going to send them away but in sending them away he keeps one tribe so in 722 BC we're going to find out in just a moment God steps in and sends them away. But this is what he says in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 20. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to assembly, made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. So out of the 12 tribes that were went into the land, only one remains. In 722 BC, God sends... Uh, the Babylonians come in, uh, sorry the Syrians come in and they wipe out a whole northern part of Israel. They get smashed. And it seems like well they're all gone. Don't they will they all stay one way? Well, one's gone off the wrong way, they've got smashed. Is the other one going to turn to God? Well actually no. Both go the wrong way. We think maybe one path's going to stay, maybe one remnant's going to be able to hang on. Maybe one tribe is going to hang on. But no, they don't hang on either. They rebel and go against God as well. And the really sad part about this is as we read through, if you go, I'm jumping through a whole lot of the Old Testament at the moment for you, but as you get through and you read through and you get into Ezekiel, you see that not only have they rejected God, but they're rejecting people. Not have they pushed God aside, but they're actually pushing people aside. Not only have they abused God, but they're abusing each other. You see, when we think we're going to run life our way, when we think working, then we start to use other people. We start to abuse others. We start to go after power, sex and money, and we start to think people are running way to get that. So when God speaks, and He speaks to Israel, He says in Ezekiel this, uh, in you you have treated father and mother with contempt. In you they have oppressed the foreigner, mistreated the fatherless and the widow. In rejecting God, we're starting to abuse people and abuse their own. It's so sad, isn't it? We think our world is messed up. The world has always been messed up. And we wonder, well, where's God in this? Where's he going to step in? What's he going to do? They even the people and they deprived the nation of its children. They actually went into... Act, they were actually killing their children. They were sacrificing their children to other gods. Killing them. As I said, the Assyrians came in, in 722, and wiped the north out. And all that's left after that is the South and Judah? Uh, and don't get me wrong. Throughout this time, there's a whole lot of period. There's a couple of hundred years uh, between that. The South, of, I mean, sorry, the North have completely gone. The South hang in there. They stay for a couple of hundred years. Uh, and if you read through the Book of Kings, you'll see there's one king comes, one king goes. Some of them are really bad. Some of them aren't too bad. But generally, they're all pretty bad. But then there's one king that steps in, and he looks like he's going to be good. And his name's Josiah. And Josiah steps in. And what Josiah does is he's scrummings around in the temple. And in the back of the temple, somewhere underneath this dust and covered, he finds the book of the law. He finds the first five books of the Bible. And he says, man, what's this? You would think they should have known, didn't they? But he finds it and reads it. And the people repent. And it looks like they're going to go, well and then they fall again. And so then in 597, things go skewy again. Uh, You see, Israel was supposed to be a lighthouse to the nations. Israel was supposed to be the people that bring blessing to the nations. They were supposed to be the people that God says, this is who God really is. Look at us and then you'll know who God is and you'll be brought in. This This is the way to come to know God through us. They were the lighthouse. That looks a bit better than our lighthouse, doesn't it? Has anyone been up there lately? Yeah, it's just this little brick thing with a little light on the top. But it's still a lighthouse. And it's still a lighthouse that saves people from getting wrecked at Joglies or uh, off Chaos or a Snapper. It's there to stop people getting wrecked. God's people were supposed to be that lighthouse. But they ended up being a wrecked lighthouse. They weren't shining a light on God at all. They're actually detracting from God. They're actually profaning God's name. They're actually a bad picture of God the world. So God says, they've got to go. I'll show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Uh, Profane means that you've brought them down. That You've actually not shed light well on God. You've actually put him into darkness. You've actually done the opposite to that. Rather than being a shining light, you've been a darkness holed away in a corner. In fact, you've actually gone out and done stuff that's been shows terribly against God. So in the end, the southern guys get wiped out as well. And that's the story that we read in 2 Kings, chapter 24, that Jane just read to us. So the Assyrians have wiped out the north. Uh, but over that couple of hundred years there's another nation that rose up called the Babylonians and the Babylonians came sweeping in in 597 and took over uh, and they wiped Jerusalem they laid siege to it they took it over and then uh, the king of Babylon decided that he would uh, put in place a bit of a puppet king uh, we hear his name Zedekiah uh, but after 11 years Zedekiah does the wrong thing and God says doesn't he in the end of it that he's going to take that away He's going to wipe them out. He's going to destroy them. And in 586, uh, Babylonian king, they come back in, they take over, they destroy, they take Zedekiah, they do all sorts of horrific things to him. They take people off into exile and Jerusalem is laid bare. Destroyed. The place that was supposed to be the blessing. Place that was supposed to show how great God is is gone wiped out well there's a period of time that they actually come back again the Israelites Uh, Cyrus the king of Persia uh, he ended up taking over the world if you've ever watched the movie 300 uh, it's based around that time I'm not sure it's an accurate story, but it's based on a period of that time. And the Persian king, what they used to do, they did it differently. They didn't take people out. They put people back and put rulers over them. And so they come back. And again, it looks like it's going to be good. But again, they fail. And the end of the Old Testament, it's not a good picture. It's a terrible picture where is God in all this am I just praying in the silence well the Israelites did pray but I don't think they got the answer that they wanted did they uh, they did pray but God came in and said no you've completely done the wrong thing judgment has come I'm going to purge you I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to wipe it out I'm going to do something completely different uh, but his promises are still there his promise. he says there's going to be a remnant. there's going to be something there's going to be something that's going to make this all about and change it all this suffering in this world, this mess in this world, I'm going to deal with it. He says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 12, the remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. There will be something that will bring us back. Ezekiel says, there will be a new heart. I'll give people a new heart, a new spirit. The heart of stone will be removed and I'll give them a heart of flesh. There will be new life. There will be restoration. There will be something that brings this all about. There will be someone or something that steps into this and changes it. And 400 years later, we'll find who that is. Sonny. You see, God brings about judgment, but not just for judgment's sake, but to refine and purify and bring about something that's going to be even better than that a judgement will come but that will be refining and that refining will bring about restoration and that's what we find out 400 years later don't we? when we get to Jesus when we get to Jesus we find out that there is one that is going to deal with the exile not just for Israel but for everyone Uh, Who knows where that is? That's it. That is the Jordan River. Some of us have been there. Uh, The part of the Jordan River I went to didn't look much like that. Uh, It was all corralled and everyone was in lines to go in. and It was a very big business venture. Um, But uh, the Jordan River uh, is like that. And who was at the Jordan River in the very early starts of the Gospels? Who do we hear about? John the Baptist, isn't he? And John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River. And now this is really important because this is a sign to Israel that the exile is about to be over. Because who knows where the Jordan River is? Where is it? It's on the what? It's on the border, isn't it? Actually, to get into the river, you've got to go outside of Israel and then come back. Now that's significant. Because what John the Baptist is saying to the people as he comes out to them, he says, oh, you need to come out, you need to be baptized, you need to repent and be changed. But you need to go outside of Israel and come back through. You need to go into exile and return. And he's a picture of that. He says, this is the way it's going to happen. But he's not the way, is he? Because what was John the Baptist say? He says, I baptize you with water for the repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will bring about renewal and transformation and he will bring about judgment. That's what the fire is. It's the refining. That's what he's talking about there. And so Jesus comes, doesn't he? Jesus enters into that and comes into this world. And John the Baptist says to him, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Because he recognizes this person is his who's going to bring about new life, but he's also going to bring about judgment, that refining is going to happen. And so John the Baptist knows that, and the people who are around Jesus tend to start to recognize that too, don't they? And so some of them start to think, well, we need to do something about this. And so there's people who actually start working against Jesus, and there's people who start to believe in Jesus, and there's coming a reckoning, isn't there? In Jesus there's going to be a reckoning. There's people who are off trying to kill him. There's people who want to follow him. There's going to be a time when things are going to come together and people know that there's going to be a period of time where there might be judgment and fire, but new life. And they think some of them think that Jesus is going to do that by bringing in a cavalry. But Jesus does it in a very different way. A very different. the night before Jesus dies he's in the garden he's praying by the end of that night everyone is left he's been deserted he's left by himself he's the remnant he's the one true Israel he's the one true Follower of God is he? he's the one true one who speaks about how God, good God, is. He's the one true lighthouse, and he's left all by himself. He's deserted. And then on the cross, fire comes, judgment comes, punishment comes, and where does it hit? It doesn't hit Israel doesn't hit the people doesn't hit you doesn't hit me it it's Jesus you see there's an element too isn't there the whole exile where's Jesus taken he's taken outside the city he's been exiled away from the place of where God's people are supposed to be he's been exiled he's taken out he's nailed to the cross He's persecuted. He's abused. He's put in shame. He's been shamed, put out there for all to see. And as he does that, God's judgment, God's refining fire, his punishment for all people's rebellion against him, is poured into him. He takes it all. So that we can. So that people can come out of exile. So that people can come into being in relationship with God. Who can be restored and have that relationship with Him. In God's sovereignty of all of it. In God's love for you and I. In His desire to have us in His family. In His relationship forever. He pours out His punishment on Jesus. So that we can be made pure. So that we can stand with Him. Jesus enters into our pain and our suffering. He feels it. He experiences it. He has it all laid on him and all the punishment and judgment against us, not only feeling that pain and suffering, but the consequences of that and the way that's gone out throughout the world through all the abuse and pain and shame is poured into him. Poured into him. So he says, my God, my God, God, why have you forsaken me? God, God, where are you in this? So Jesus enters into our pain. He feels our pain. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He experiences it. And he's also there. People passed by him, didn't they? They hurled insults at him. They cried out at him. It takes. Sounds very much like Lamentations 2.15, doesn't it? All who pass you will clap their hands at you. They will scoff and shake their heads. Those who passed him hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. You see, Jesus is taking everything that Israel deserved. He is taking everything that you and I deserve. He is taking all that pain and suffering in the world onto himself. But he comes out, doesn't he? Praise God, isn't it? You see that pain and suffering has been taken there. No longer do we take that punishment. He's taken it for us. No longer do we take that judgment. He's taken that for us. We can now step out with Him. He's the answer to it, isn't He? He's the one that brings us life. He's the one that gives us a new heart, gives us a new spirit. He takes away our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh so that we can start to live for Him. And not only we are we able to live for Him now, but we live for Him for eternity. We actually go into eternity that all that whole pain and suffering will be completely removed from us now. Yes, we still feel it now. But we know that in that he walks with us and in that he'll take us the other way and out and into eternity with him and perfection. That's Jesus. That's Jesus who speaks into our story, doesn't he? The Jesus who enters into our story. Jesus who enters into our pain and our suffering and he feels that with us. He enters into that and he knows that so that when we walk through those times of pain and suffering he walks with us I was talking to a guy who I've been emailing uh, he used to live here Uh, he's gone away for a while and he emailed me just this week and said that he's so down and out that he wants to take his life he said I'm lost I'm in pain the only thing that's keeping me here is Rufus, his dog
1: that
0: was it Where's God in this? I was able to share a couple of things with him, but I was also able to share with him that poem called Footsteps. Have you seen that poem? There were two footsteps in the sand, and then in his worst times of his life, there was only one. He says, God, where were you? He said, in that, I was carrying. Thankfully, my friend did not take his wife. And after that, he said that he felt that there was at least something out there. He wasn't out of his pain and suffering before, but he knew there was hope. See, Jesus enters into it with us. As he enters into that with us, he also wants us to think about what happens around us, doesn't he? The pain and the suffering that we've got around us. You see, sometimes I think the world around us wants to remove the grief of suffering. We want to somehow cover it up and make it less than what it is. Uh, but I don't know whether you've seen it but lately around the place there's these so called happy funerals Uh, they're where people have decided to do different things Uh, so they dress up in superhero costumes and different things to try and make it a bit more levity to the situation now there's moments and places for that isn't there but what they're saying in this is actually they're diminishing it they're actually trying to remove us from the sense of grief and suffering and pain and we want to try and do that, don't we? We, try and, we want to get rid of it. But it's real. This world we live in, we still feel that pain and suffering. We still have broken bodies. We still have broken relationships. And the Bible doesn't say that you need to be stepped out of that. But Jesus says he steps into it with you. At the cross, Jesus says, I'm suffering with you in that. And I walk with you within that. And when it comes to those around us, doesn't it too, we've got to think about when we see it in the world that's out there, when we see pain and suffering around us, then we want to be, uh, step into that with them, don't we? We want to step in and be part of that to try and help with that. When we see people are being abused or being abused, we can't step back and say, we can't do anything about it. We want to step into that. There's nothing sadder, is it, than you see someone who's using their power and their position to abuse those that are around us, that are around them. And we need to stand up against that. We need to stand in in those situations. And we need to stand in with each other too, don't we? Sometimes I think for us that we think that we need to bring an answer to remove grief and suffering that we need to step into that now we know don't we that Jesus is the one who steps in it and is ultimately the answer but in the middle of the grief and suffering we don't have to give the answer we don't have to try and make it in a sense an answer for the person who's doing that because we can't decide we can't work out why people are suffering that's not in our place we don't know that and we know that it's not because of God's punishing anyone, because that punishment has been taken by Jesus. No one is suffering today because, of what, because God is doing it to them. It's not because of something that anyone's done wrong. The punishment for our suffering has been taken. It's because we're in this messy, mucked up world of ours that is broken. So we don't have to come in and solve people's problems. That's not our role. We need to step into it like Jesus did and stand with each other within it. Don't have to give the answer, but we can listen. We don't have to be the solution, but we can be there. And we can do that together, can't we, as a community, as our church family. that we can be part of that together. Now can I tell you that this last month or six weeks has stretched us has pushed us to our limits in that area, I think. We've got a number of families in crisis. We've got people with health difficulties around us. We've got families who are just struggling to be function. I don't know if you remember it, but last May was like that as well. We were pushed to our end's limits to try and cover all those things that were going on. Can I say thank you for those that have stepped in? Thank you for those that have been there. Thank you for those that have gone out of their way in their efforts to be there for those that are struggling at the moment. It's tough. We're stretched. We're only a small group. And there's a lot going on for us. I know a lot of us here have been thinking, where are you, God, in all of this? Where's the order? It seems messy and chaotic it's hard isn't it but in that we know that God has not left us to ourselves in it Jesus has stepped into it with us Jesus is travelling with us in it Jesus will take us through this and into a perfected eternity with him where pain and suffering will be no more And within that, he's given us each other to help travel with us through that journey. To love, to pray, to point each other back to Jesus. To be thankful that we don't take on the punishment. That Jesus has taken it for us. He's going to take us through it. He's going to bring us into that perfect eternity with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know the brokenness around us and Lord, you know the pain and the suffering that a number of us have been through, a number of us are going through. Lord, you know our hearts. And Lord, we want to thank you that you have not just walked away from that, but you stepped into it through your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to be thankful that in the middle of all that's going on around us, the mess and the chaos, that, Lord, we know that you have got us. We know that you are moving us uh, to perfection in eternity with you. We know that one day all that is wrong with this world will be removed. Lord, help us hold on to that hope. Help us to be thankful for that and help us, Lord, to be lights in this community around us, lights uh, that are shine for you in the way that we understand that, the way that we feel pain and grief are for each other, the way that we can stand with each other within that, Lord. Lord, we're not perfect at that. Lord, we ask for forgiveness where we haven't done that well. Lord, transform us and change us and enable us to help us to do that. Help us to look outside of ourselves, Lord. And Father, give us the strength. Give us the stamina. Give us, Lord, your spirit to enable us to step in and stand with those around us who are struggling, who are in pain, who are suffering emotionally, physically, spiritually Lord and help all of us to set our eyes on Jesus the one who has taken all that on himself the one who heals and restores and transforms and brings us life now and for it evermore Lord I want to thank you and praise you for him may we always be thankful for that we pray this in Jesus name Amen